Welcome to episode 91 of Frank Reactions, the show where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. Today's guest is Joanne Paris from a company called Essential Accessibility, which is a company that has a mission of trying to ensure there is accessible web design for everybody. A lot of people, I think, when they hear accessible web design, they kind of turn off and think, well, my site isn't targeted at people with disabilities. But Joanne makes a pretty strong argument that, first of all, there are a lot of potential customers out there who do have disabilities that would make your existing website difficult to use. And quite apart from people who are technically disabled, as the population ages, there are more and more of us who experience things like visual challenges or aches and pains with hands and arthritis and stuff that make it harder to use mice and keyboards. So there's a huge potential audience. And as well, what I have found in all my years of user experience research is that generally, if you make a web design that is accessible to people with things like visual impairments, you're actually creating a better web design for everybody. So before we get into the interview, just a couple of things. First of all, just a heads up, the Alberta Council of Technologies is holding a conference called Creating the New Alberta on Saturday, November 26th at Red Deer College. And I will be on the panel along with Professor Simon Raby from the University of Calgary Faculty of Business. And people who register for the full day conference will get a 20% discount if you register using the code PEOPLESHOCK, all as one word. And I think it's all lowercase. Just go to www.abctech.ca forward slash event dash options. So abctech.ca forward slash event dash options and use the offer code PeopleShock and you'll get a 20% discount. If you're a listener and you come to that event, do come up and say hi to me. I'd love to see you there. And the second thing before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give you a couple little jargon alerts. She used the term assistive technologies which, as you might guess from the name, is using technological solutions to assist people in using websites or in doing things generally. So, for example, things like a hand-free mouse, and it's kind of cool, she talks in there about a hand-free mouse that you can now actually control just by using your face, no more having to try and stick a pencil in, in your mouth or something. The joy of advancing technology. She also talked about JAWS or NVDA. Uh, NVDA stands for Non-Visual Desktop Access, and it's a free screen reader, which makes it possible for people who have vision impairments to use computers more easily. And JAWS was really, as far as I know, I think it was really the first one that actually did that. I still remember sitting in on a usability test with a few visually impaired website users who were quite comfortable with JAWS. And I was just blown away at the speed with which they could understand the human voice, because what the screen reader program did is it would read all the links and all the key parts of the page to them. And I remember one of these guys, it read it so fast, I couldn't understand what it was saying, but he could. 
So that was kind of cool. It was sort of a superpower. Anyway, enjoy the interview and I will chat with you briefly at the end. I'm Joanne Perez. I'm the director of marketing for a company called Essential Accessibility. And Essential Accessibility, our mission here is to enhance the digital customer experience for people with disabilities. And we do that by integrating web accessibility compliance services and assistive technology um, so people with disabilities have um, a way to engage with companies online. Taking the cynical view that I'm sure you've heard from plenty of employers or organizations, rather, um, you know, really, how many people would this affect? Is it really worth the investment? Absolutely. So people with disabilities, um, there is, what we're trying to tell people is that there is a market, first of all. In the U.S., it's about one in five people self-identify as having a disability. Um, Because of a stigma attached to disabilities, a lot of people might not disclose that they are um, disabled, but one in five at least self-identify, and that's a great number. That is kind of huge. Sorry to interrupt, but can you give me an idea of, like, what types of disabilities they identify as having? Because that would vary, I would think, quite a lot. Yeah, so um, there is people that self-identify as having physical disabilities, right? So from being in a wheelchair um, to sort of maybe minor physical disabilities, like um, they might have just broken their hand, for example, Mm -hmm. in a particular moment that the test or the survey was taken. Um, So at that time, they had a disability because they they didn't have use of their hands. Um, But it could go into something as severe as quadriplegia, Parkinson's, um, multiple sclerosis, sorry, MS, um, cerebral palsy. So there's sort of a wide, wide variety. And of course, it includes vision disabilities as well, right? So, and that ranges from mild visual impairments to um, being completely blind. Mm -hmm. So we have physical, we have visual, um, and then there's cognitive um, disabilities as well. So there really is a wide spectrum. So when I think of how wide that spectrum is, it strikes me that it's impossible for any website to actually meet the needs of everybody. Absolutely. And I think um, a lot of people that work in disabilities or in the disability space, we understand that, you know, a website can't check every box. And so I think the goal is is not to have um, it accessible to everybody, but to have reasonable accommodation. So you should be able to accommodate um, in as many as you possibly can. Definitely vision, because a lot of websites um, are visual in nature, and so someone with a vision disability might not be able, will definitely not be able to um, see what you put on your website without the help of assistive technology. Well, it's funny because I remember doing some testing on a website. This was several years ago, and what we found is that there were a lot of complaints about the font size from people aged yeah. forty to fifty. And so the 40 to 50, I think, was because they're starting to need glasses, reading glasses, but they haven't given up yet and got them. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, you know, you've just actually raised a really great point, which is 
there are people with disabilities who are younger for sure, but a lot of people who are getting older also have disabilities as a result of getting older, right? So mm-hmm. the dex- they might have dexterity issues where they can't type or they can't hold a mouse for um, a sustained amount of time or they can't look at a screen for a long time because um, they see floaters and things like that. So those would still be disabilities, and they might not self-identify as having a disability. They might just say, oh, well, I'm just getting older, and that's it. But at the end of the day, it's still a disability. Well, and, and so then what it suggests, particularly with the aging of our population, the need for this is going to go crazy. I mean, it's going to be expanding yeah. dramatically. Absolutely. Um, there's They're saying, so the statistic in Ontario specifically is about one in seven self-identifies having a disability. They're saying that as um, the population ages, we're going to see something as low as one in five. So that drops, like the number drops significantly. That means that there's a significant part of the population that, you know, have a disability and now need accommodation. And as our world gets more digital, there's sort of starting to be this huge gap between accessible and non-accessible. So do you think, I mean, by now, certainly people in the latter half of the baby boom, most of those people are pretty computer literate. So I think, you know, in the past, a lot of certainly the age-related disability kind of got swept aside because they figured, oh, you know, old folks don't use the web, which isn't true. My 85-year-old mother does. Um, but but I think that the, this huge wave of people starting to lose hearing, lose vision, develop tremors, whatever, surely that's going to push all this forward. Absolutely. And the thing to keep in mind sort of with this population, it's, it's diversification of devices, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas a lot of people might have been used to a desktop, but now they don't need a desktop because they, they're not using Word or PowerPoint, so they might just need a tablet. And so in which case, all of a sudden, mobile devices have to be accessible and mobile apps have to be accessible because, you know, you might... Like I said, you might not be on a desktop anymore. You might be on a tablet or you might just have a really good smartphone as sort of your way to connect with other people or your friends, keep in touch with family members, um, things like that. Okay, so companies are finding it hard enough even just to develop websites that work on all those different devices for non-disabled people. So how realistic is it to expect them to be able to also adapt their sites for a wide range of disabled people on a wide range of different devices. So I think I think the mindset here is what's really important and that needs to shift. So rather than developing a website and then having to fix it for someone with a disability, it's best to sort of just build it with a disability in mind from the get-go. And that means working with, you know, agencies and working with web developers that already know how to build websites that have kept um, accessibility in mind. And that's down to the wireframes and before you even start to code the site. And that's what we started to talk to a lot of our prospects about is bring us in as early as you can because the earlier that this starts, the better it will be. So then we're not fixing it when you've exhausted your budget. <laughs> we're fixing it at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so accessibility then becomes a part. And what we found is that when a site is made accessible, it's accessible to 
a lot of people, right? Because, for example, if you fix some, if you put a PDF on, because I know a lot of municipalities do it, they've got their summer guides or their winter guides, their recreation guides, and they just sort of PDF them and put them up. Mm-hmm. Someone with a vision disability who's using a screen reader can't read that those guides because PDFs aren't accessible in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. So you have to make PDFs accessible. So what we started to talk to some of our prospects about is if you're going to be doing that, then, you know, make the PDF accessible from the get-go so that that's, so people with vision disabilities can, in fact, read these documents. But when you do that, it's also accessible to everyone else. Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, is because things like high contrast make it more readable and easier yeah. for everybody. And yet... Yeah. We keep seeing web designs. I mean, I had a huge fight with my web designer who wanted to do this beautiful, subtle sort of gray on gray font thing. And it was a huge thing to persuade him. No, it's got to have more contrast than that. And yet, why does that keep happening? I think because. Um, and I know I'm guilty of this as a marketer prior to coming <laughs> on board, is things have to look pretty. <laughs> and I think the aesthetics of it all have sort of, you know, because pretty sells. If you, if, you, if you market something and make it look um, cutting edge and if you make it look modern and clean and things like that, then you're going to see a return on that. Whereas I think making it accessible so that people can, A, read it, um, you know, would probably sell much more than pretty. So I've had to change my own sort of personal thinking around um, design and web design especially because I found that, you know, when, for example, like you said, the contrast is one thing, but another one is the clickable area, right? So if the clickable area is too small, then someone might, A, miss your call to action, um, B, might not be able to click on it because they're not able to get there precisely. And so if you're actually hurting yourself rather than helping. Well, and it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I've been pointing out these issues since 2001 with web mystery shoppers and, and yet it doesn't seem like most sites have got the message yet. Definitely not. I think that's part and parcel I think people working in accessibility have not made the message accessible, Mm -hmm. if you understand what I mean. Because if you work in accessibility, there's tons of jargon, you know, and a marketer who doesn't have time to sift through all the jargon to kind of understand why it is that they're doing what they're doing, so they just sort of push it aside and say, no, I'm not I'm not going to worry about it. How how much of my audience actually, you know, has a disability? So no, I'm so they sort of push that off their plate. Um, whereas what we found is, you know, with our company, we sort of said, you know, what if we don't talk about the jargon? What if we leave that aside? What if we just explain what it is we're doing and why it's beneficial and how it will benefit, you know, the person building the website or the marketer who's sort of put the vision in place for the website. And we found that that approach actually works because then all of a sudden companies understand, oh, wait a minute, yes, there is this massive audience that uh, will benefit greatly from me just, you know, making sure that my website is accessible because that's how people have started buying, right? Right. Um, and that's where the whole customer experience p- 
piece sort of comes in for our organization is if we talk about the customer experience and we show people that right now when it comes to disability, their customer experience is broken or their digital customer experience is broken, they get it. And then all of a sudden, because they understand it, it now becomes a catalyst for something much bigger than us or one particular organization um, because the goal is to make the world accessible. Right? Mm-hmm. So do you have any examples or data that shows a before and after result in terms of profitability or conversion rates or anything like that, that to actually prove the case that it is better? Um, unfortunately, because we changed, our company changed direction in the past few months, hmm. a lot of my data is, um, can I, I can put a stake on it, but I don't think <laughs> it will be acceptable to everyone else. So I'm not going to share that just okay. yet. Um, but sort of as we, as we do this more and more and we start to build sort of better data sets, I'm sure that we're going to start to see that. For sure. Okay. Is anybody working to make sure that the training that web designers get includes this information? Um, a lot of the big accessibility companies offer training, and I know that we do as well. So, But I'm just thinking, I mean, that would have to be somebody who's already motivated enough to want it. I'm thinking as part of, you know, where people go to school to learn how to design websites. Should, this should be part of that, what's included in that. I would agree with you 100%. I have, when I spoke with my designers about, because we just redid our own website, um, and I asked them, you know, does, does anybody t- teach this stuff in schools that you know of? And they say no. That's so like, sad. We, we've had to learn this based on A, a client wants it, or in our case, like we definitely did. So my, de- my developers had to talk to our in-house um, accessibility compliance specialist. Right. And sort of work with to work with that team to sort of make sure that our site is in fact accessible. Um, but other than that, unless it's of general interest, a lot of designers and developers sort of don't learn this through education. They self teach. Right. If somebody's going to hire a web designer, what kind of screening questions can they ask to assure themselves that the designer actually is aware of these issues? Um, the first one would be, you know, have you ever built um, an accessible website? The second one, the second one would possibly be, um, you know, do you know what your accessibility standards and regulations are? Because there are standards and regulations, but some of them might not be national. They might be in certain provinces or states. So if your business is in that province and state, then you have to you have to meet those um, regulations for sure. So does your developer know that that exists? So so those apply to all websites in those regions, or just those who are trying to get government work? Those who are trying to get government work for sure in the states. I know for Ontario, it's all websites. Hmm with AODA. So it's a little, it's very different and nuanced depending on where you are. That's why you would have to check and see whether it would be, have to be pertinent, A, to your geography, but B, does the does your developer or designer working within that geography, are, are they aware? And if they're not, then there should be, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> yes. You, if you're if you're in the business of building websites, you have to know sort of what the laws are. Um, see, you know, are they aware of things like the WCAG 2.0, yeah. and do they know what 
the guidelines are? Are they able to say, you know, I can build it to you to a minimum of double A or triple A, um, depending on how accessible you want to be, obviously. Can you send me some um, links to that information I'll put in the sure, show notes? Sure. Okay, great. When you're pitching companies on this, what sort of pushback do you get from them? And, and how do you overcome that? So I think the biggest one historically has been budget. Yeah. You know, um, how can you make this work within my budget? Because I'm like, yes, I have to do my website, but I'm trying not to go over budget. Or, um, you know, because we do the assistive technology piece, you know, people wanting to know, okay, how, how is this really helping someone with a disability? Can you talk a bit more about the assistive technology, what that is and how that works? So um, we've got an assistive technology app that the way that it works is um, companies can license it from us and put an icon up on their website. And then when someone with a disability or just anyone in particular clicks on that icon, they have the option to download the app. Now, the app is actually really cool where we've, we've got a number of assistive technologies within sort of this one app. And so users have the option to pick and choose whichever one they're comfortable with. So one of the big pieces of AT in there is a um, hands-free mouse. And Is what? Sorry? Is a hands-free mouse. Ah, yes. Okay. So the way that it works is it, the app connects to your webcam, and with your face, you can basically move your mouse cool. in any sort of direction. And if you just hold it in place for a little bit, it clicks for you, or if there's a drop-down menu, and you can basically navigate without, without your hands. And that was originally developed. To, the app started out that way. It started out just a hands-free mouse because um, it was originally developed for quadriplegics. Right. You know, it was a more humane way for quadriplegics to sort of browse the web because otherwise they have to put a stick mm-hmm. in their mouth and try and, you know, scroll and do things like that and just get very difficult and frustrating. So this was because it connected to your webcam. You could just sort of use um, use your head to do what you want to do on a, on a site. That's very um, cool. Yeah, and so then the app sort of evolved from there. So you had then we added voice commands. So, you know, you can give simple voice commands saying, move down, move up, and the sort of the mouse would, or the cursor would do, would follow that. And you can say things like click, um, go back, just simple, simple voice commands. And so that that's another feature. Uh, we have a screen reader in the app, so someone who has sort of mild visual impairments can use it. We unfortunately don't have a robust one like JAWS or NVDA, that definitely a milder, like someone with not as serious um, vision disability can use our technology, basically. So so, so w- how would that be different from something like JAWS, like the ma- big screen reader programs? I mean, bear in mind, my audience probably, most of them don't even know what the hell a screen reader is. So, <laughs> so maybe you could right. explain that. So from what I, I haven't, because we haven't bought a JAWS license, so I'm not quite sure... Um, all I know is that JAWS is incredibly robust in what you can do, right? So you can um, type using JAWS, and JAWS also works on your entire computer, whereas ours works just on your web browser, right? Okay. so to speak. And with us, like, you can't necessarily 
type using using the screen reader. I, the, all it can do is it can read the links right. and it can read the page. And JAWS has a lot more functionality on top of that. Um, so ours is quite basic. So your app then, it sounds like it'd be pretty easy for somebody to learn how to use. Absolutely. And is it free? It's intuitive that way. Is it free? It absolutely is free. Uh, because, of course, organizations are licensing licensing it for us, and so the end user doesn't have to pay. That's one of the things that we're trying to create is we're trying to get brands involved in this process and get brands to change, you know, how they've been doing disability and accessibility up until this point, and this is sort of an easy way because it doesn't really involve much to put an icon up on a homepage and for someone to download free technology. So does the screen or does the the app then only work with the companies that have signed on? Uh, we give we give our companies the option to do that and a lot of them choose not to do it that way because um, they don't want it to seem like they're inhibiting their users from using it on other sites. So there's the option to lock it just for an organization, but all of our clients um, say, no, just leave it open so that they can use it anywhere else. But it still builds affinity with that particular brand where someone goes and downloads this technology from, say, Greyhound, because Greyhound is a client of ours. It sort of builds affinity with Greyhound because, you know, Greyhound cared enough about them to offer this service to them. So does the client like Greyhound or whatever, do they need to do something special beyond just putting this icon up? Is there something they have to change about their website? If if it doesn't need accessibility and they want to hire us to do that as well, in which case we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do sort of a whole accessibility package where we'll work with Greyhound to fix their website. Um, but then you also get sort of this free assistive technology app with it. So we have a lot, we have more comprehensive accessibility solution than anyone else out there. Okay, so just to make sure I'm clear, so I as an individual can download this app, which is called what? Essential Accessibility. There isn't a name. (laughs) Most people don't even know that that's, that's what it's called because you click on an icon from your favorite brand and you get the app that way. So I can't get the app in in an app store? No. How come? We... Because of the way that we license it, it, we have decided not to put it in the App Store. Hmm. So that really limits, so you just have to stumble upon the right site. Uh, Not necessarily, because we work with our clients to help spread the word that that is what they're offering. So we'll come in and we'll add suggestions for, you know, how they can sort of market the fact that they're offering this piece of technology to their users. Mm -hmm. Uh, and people are finding it. It's it's very cool. I'm sitting yeah. here with my right arm aching because <laughs> of excessive mousing, and I'm thinking, oh, this sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Joanne. I think this has been really informative, and it's something that people really need to hear and learn about, and that will be increasingly true as we go forward. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed that. If you go to frankreactions.com forward slash 91, 
I will have a link to at least one of the websites, maybe more, that are using their accessibility tool, the free one. And I played around with it a little bit, and it it is kind of nice, actually. I think that we will be seeing more and more of that kind of thing going forward, and I think the technology will get easier and easier to use. Because, as I said at the beginning of this episode, with the aging of the population, the demand for this kind of stuff is just going to go up and up and up. Again, just a quick reminder that on November 26th, the Alberta Council of Technologies will be having a one-day conference in Red Deer on creating the new Alberta. And if you use the offer code PEOPLESHOCK, you will get a 20% discount if you register. So go to abctech.ca forward slash event dash options and uh, plug in that code and hopefully I will see you there. Whether or not I do, have a wonderful week. Bye.